We, um, I'm, in a, I'm in a series right now uh, called God at Work, God at Work, and um, some of you are like, God at Work, uh, God is not at my work, and uh, I'm telling you, we're in, a, we're in a series called God at Work, and, and he is. We walked, we've worked through um, uh, a lot of ideas of kind of where God works and how he works. Our passage this morning, we're going to go straight into some scripture is in Exodus chapter 1. We've talked about Jacob, uh, whose name ended up becoming Israel. Walked through, talked about the life of Joseph for a few weeks this morning. We're going to talk about Moses. Moses. So beginning in verse 1, Exodus chapter 1, begins, it says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. And so come, we must deal shrewdly or wisely. Everybody say wisely. We have to deal wisely with them or they'll become even more numerous. And, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, they'll fight against us, and then they'll leave the country. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Author wants you to get something here. Ruthlessly. Our other passage, our series passage this morning is John chapter 5, verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work, and to this very day I too am working. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've been in a series called God at Work. This morning we're talking about God at work with a grand plan. God at work with a grand plan. Everybody say grand plan. Yeah. Does anyone in here enjoy making plans? You're just a planner. You're like, I love it. I like making plans. Yes. Anybody in here, you enjoy somebody else making plans? Yes. Yes, my hand is up. Um, I want to start off this morning. I got some list of some famous quotes about making plans. And so what I'd like to do, uh, I just feeling, I, I just need a little engagement this morning. And so uh, what I want to do is I'm going to say what the quote is. And then if you know who said it, you could just, you could just say that. All right. So I, I don't know what kind of background you have in church. Maybe you don't have any background. You can do a little, you can do a little talking back and forth in here. Uh, or, or, or maybe you have like some very like strict church background, and you're like, no, 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 I, I just I sat in my seat on my hands all my life. We don't, I'm just telling you in here, you can do a little moving around, all right? I need a little engagement. So, for example, I would say, if I said, quote, I have a dream, you would respond with Martin Luther King. Great. Good. All right, here we go. Here's one. I'm taking it back immediately. Number one. Uh, I love it when a plan comes together. Who said Hannibal. Hannibal from the A-team. All right, I was just trying to figure out who's in here with me. What about uh, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans? John Lennon, yes. From a song, Beautiful Boy. I don't, I'll be honest with you, Chat GPT gave me this one. I don't, I'm just saying, I didn't know that one. 
Here's one. Houston, we have a problem. Whatever, we're in Huntsville. I heard somebody say Apollo 13. That'll work. Jim Lovell. All right. I'm getting hecklers over here in this section. I just want you to know. All right, finally, last one, ultimate plan. This is the ultimate plan. Here it is. Uh, I'll be back. Good. Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Terminator. Did somebody just say Jesus? I guess that's right. I mean, that works. I'll be back. The king is coming. All right. Um, our series has been about God, God always at work. You ever wonder what kind of work God does? Like, what, what, is, the, what is the work God does? When, when, God, when, when, you, when you go on God's job site, like, what does it look like? When God clocks in for work, what is he, what is he clocking in to do? What is he doing? The answer is this, that the, the work of God is people. God's work is people. And the conditions are people conditions. And so when God works, there's nothing really that's pristine or, uh, or perfect. It, it's, it's, it's dirty. It's muddy. It's, it's, um, it's messy. It's, it's life. That's where, that's where God works. That's, that's real life. Even though we may see that in the scriptures, there's still this tension when we walk into, if we're going to walk into church, oftentimes there can still be this tension because you just left a week of life, like, like real life. And you're walking in a church, and depending on what your background is, you may be walking in thinking, I have to bring my, I have to put on like my best face, put in my best foot forward. I have to pretend like the last six days didn't just happen where that was all real life because I'm walking in here and I gotta, I gotta put up, I gotta, I gotta do the thing. I gotta play the game. I gotta be the person because God is perfect and he only allows like perfect people. I think I heard that somewhere, you know? And so when I go in and that's, that's the danger. The problem is this, it's, it's not true. God works, his work is people. The conditions are people conditions. We talked about God at work in the wrestling with Jacob. We talked about God in the wilderness and in the wounds with Joseph. This morning I want to talk about the wisdom of God's grand plan. Moses in the reeds. Moses in the reeds. Does God really always have a plan? Does God always have a plan? When, when I think... Like, what about when I think it's, it, it's, it's not supposed to be like this? Anybody ever had that thought? Some of y'all did. You're like, like in the parking lot. You pulled up and you're like, man, it's not supposed to be like this. What, what, what about in my, in my worst or in life's worst? What does it look like to have wisdom in the worst? The children of Israel are still in Egypt. This is... This is um, before Moses, I mean, this is kind of about Moses, but it's, it's before Moses has led anybody out. It's before King David and King Solomon. It's before Elijah and Elisha. It's before all the prophets. This is, this is early on. It's before they're given the law. All they have is this promise to Abraham saying that I'm going to bless you, and then I'm going to use you, and, I'm gonna, and through you, I'm going to bless everybody. That's a promise that they have. But the conditions are, are different. Verse 8 says, there's a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing. Remember, Joseph saved everybody. He saved his whole family, 
all 11 brothers, everybody in his family, and, and since then, and, and, the, and the entire uh, na uh, uh, nation, Egypt, and since then, they've multiplied greatly. Surely this was part of the plan from the beginning with Abraham, which was to bless him and to use his family to bless the whole world. And, and, and everything was going right until it wasn't, till, till something happened. I, I, something happened. There was a new king. There was a new pharaoh. They forgot about all the stuff that Joseph had done. Joseph gets canceled. <laughs> and there's so many people of Israel that, gets, that, that Pharaoh gets worried about. And so verse 10, we get this phrase. Pharaoh says, let's be, let's be wise. Let's be wise. Let's be wise about this. We have all these people in the nation, and, and, and I, I, don't use, I don't know anything about Joseph. So let's be wise with what we're, we're dealing with here. They're, they're multiplying too fast. All right, they're, 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 they're growing too fast. They're growing faster than all the other Egyptians. There's, and, and in that day, the understanding was there wasn't really a greater blessing from God than to have a big family. We wanted, we, we wanted, so to multiply greatly at this point, there's no greater blessing. And the hand of God is on uh, his people. And so church history says, you know, they started working them about 16-hour days. 16-hour days. Anybody ever worked a 16-hour day? See, I, I, I was talking to a guy one time, and, uh, uh, and, and he, he told me, I said, man, uh, how's work? And he goes, it's fine, just working half days. And I said, oh, man, that's not even bad at all. He goes, yeah, 12 hours. And I was like, whatever, that's such a dad joke. That's so whatever, like 12-hour days. They're working these, this nation 16-hour days, and, and it still doesn't stop them. It's still, they're, they're still, look, they still, <laughs> it doesn't stop them. They keep multiplying. So they add them, they make it 20-hour days. 20-hour days. Surely everybody's going to be too tired. And nothing changes. The nation keeps growing. And so Pharaoh ends up telling the midwives, he goes, look, here's the deal. We can't stop this, this multiplication. And so he says, I, what I want you to do is I want you to take these babies. Any boys that are born... I want you to take the, the baby boys and I want you to kill them. And so ends up telling the, the midwives to do this, the Egyptian midwives. Well, Egyptian midwives don't want to do this. They fear God, Scripture says. And, um, and so instead, when, when they come back, Pharaoh calls them back and he goes, what happened? Why are there still so, why is this, why is this nation multiplying so greatly? And they go, well, the, the women, they're too strong for us. They just have babies on their own. Before we can even get there, they're too strong. That, look... The author wants you to understand something. The wisdom of Pharaoh in this huge picture here, he says, let's deal wisely. We want to win out. So let's deal. The author wants you to re recognize something. Pharaoh's wisdom is stupid. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And here's why. Nothing the enemy can do can really stop God's plans. There's nothing that the enemy can do to stop God's plans. The blessing of God is on his people. The favor of God is on his people. And favor ain't fair. Let me just tell you something. And so the blessing is on his people. All of Israel are still in miserable conditions. Can I be in miserable circumstances and be blessed at the same time? Apparently so. There's no greater blessing at this time. And this nation is growing and they're multiplying. Nobody wants to work 16-hour days. 
Nobody wants these conditions. And yet there's still a blessing in the waiting. Apparently you can be blessed and still go through suffering. I don't know what message you've heard in your time of walking with Jesus or hearing about the church and hearing about Jesus, but you can, be, you can still be blessed and walk through suffering. So, so how does God respond? The people are oppressed. And so we get this, Exodus chapter 2, right after. It says, Now a man of the tribe of, tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Otherwise, she would have to kill him. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket uh, basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in the basket and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. You have to understand something. Pharaoh, Pharaoh at this point thought he was, um, if he didn't think he was God, then he at least thought he was the mediator between God and man. And somehow God's plan was to put a baby in a basket and to float him down the river. Verse 4, we're going to see what happens to him, but at this moment, it's a baby in a basket. Here's a mother thinking, all, all the joy that I could have ever asked for, the dream of my heart, here he is. And I just put him in a basket and let him float down the river. Look, this is, this, is a, this is a long time ago. It's a long time ago. And it can be hard to put ourselves in the narrative of Scripture. But I'm just telling you, it's still a baby in a basket you're floating down the river. This is, how in the world is this God's blessing? How in the world is this God's wisdom? Things got so bad that godliest couple had to put their baby in a basket and then say this, okay, God, the rest is up to you. It's up to you. Most precious thing in their life was put in a basket and then given back to God. How is this part of a, a master plan? Where's God's great favor and wisdom in this? I wonder if she ever had this thought, you know, if, if this is the treatment that God's favorite people get, I don't know that I want to be God's favorite people anymore. I wonder if she thought that. Verse 5, Exodus chapter 2 says this, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds. Sent her female slave to go get it, and she opened it and saw the baby. There's a baby in a basket. <laughs> He's crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Then she says, yes, go. And she answered. So the girl went and, the baby, uh, to, and got the baby's mother. So Moses' mom. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. So the woman, Moses' mom, uh, her name, by the way, is Jochebed. Y'all don't have to say that. All right. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The author wants you to see something. No matter what, no matter what Pharaoh threw at God's people, nothing was going to stop God's greater plan. Pharaoh's plan was, his wisdom was stupid. God's plan, it, it, it was never God's plan for Israel to live in Egypt forever. 
He had a home for them, and Egypt wasn't it. Egypt wasn't their home. And so God used every single thing that the enemy threw at God's people to get them where he wanted them. If, if you follow Jesus long enough, it'll, it'll get uncomfortable for you here. It, it, if you follow him long enough, it'll get uncomfortable. Because this world isn't your home. Did you, did you know um, God has a goal for you? Did you know God has a goal for you? Did you know God has a goal for you and it is not to make you comfortable? God's goal for you isn't comfort. It's, it's movement. It's movement. God, God loves to bless, but his ultimate goal isn't to make you comfortable, but to make you complete, to make you whole, to make you mature. And it means ultimately to make you movable. He wants you to grow up. He wants, he wants you to grow up. He wants you, he wants you out of Egypt. Not only does he want you out of Egypt, he also wants Egypt out of you. And in his great wisdom, sometimes he uses discomfort to make you move where he wants you to move. God's goal for us isn't comfort, it's, it's movement. How many, how many of you like to be comfortable? Anybody? Okay, there's, there's 11 of you. I like being comfortable. I want to be, let me ask you this. How many of you guys love being uncomfortable? That's what I thought. All right. Comfort, I feel like, is a, is a core value in America. Man, we, we love comfort. We, 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 have, we have comfort seats. Like, they're called comfort seats. Like, comfort plus seats on airlines. They cost extra. Did y'all know that? It costs extra. It's not right. We love comfortable furniture. I, I just, um, uh, got a couch recently. I say recently. It's probably a year ago now. Um, and it's, a, it's a sectional, and, and I love it. And apparently, apparently, my whole family loves it, and we all love one cushion in the sectional. Because all the other cushion, cushions are nice and firm and new. This corner cushion, you get in it, and you're just gone to the bottom immediately because that's where everybody wants to be. You know why? Because it's so comfy. You snuggle up in that corner seat, turn on the game. The game, it's totally happening, guys. It's coming up. Those games are happening. We love comfort. We got comfort food. We got comfort. If I asked you to list comfort food, what would you say? Casseroles. Oh, my God. Macaroni and cheese. Yes, God. What is, different people like different things. There's a, there's a commonality with comfort food. Comfort food makes you want to take a nap. Is there anything more comfortable than taking a nap? We seek comfort like it's the ultimate goal oftentimes. We say things like, I, I don't need a lot. I just want to be comfortable. I just, just want to, what is, what is that to you? For different people, it's different things. I just want to be, I just need I just need a million dollars. I'll be comfortable. I can handle, I can just, just, if I can just have a million dollars and I can, there's some things I want to do and I just, it's fine. I don't need a lot until you have a million dollars. Some of y'all have a million dollars. And then what are you like? You're like, I don't need a lot. I just need $10 million. Until you have $10 million. And you're like, I don't need a lot. I just need $100 million. We just, why? Because we're always, we're, we're geared, we're aimed for, for comfort. But God has no problem making you uncomfortable. 
Man, I wish that wasn't true. I just preached that. I just said that, and nobody said nothing. I just want you all to know that. It's true. He has no problem making us uncomfortable. If you follow Jesus long enough, you'll realize eventually he has no problem allowing rocks in your shoe or a boss that hates your guts or a storm or whatever. Eventually, you're going to go, man, this is, I'm uncomfortable. And that's even like a nice word. Man, the children of Israel here, when I say children of Israel, I mean the children of Jacob. Remember they changed, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Children of Israel, they weren't just uncomfortable. They were miserable. They were miserable. God will use anything he can to get you where he wants you. What kind of God is that? What kind of God will use anything he can to get you where he wants you? The the biblical word for that is wisdom. It's wisdom. Now, Pharaoh said, I want to be wise in how I'm dealing with these people. And so he does things that you would think would be wise on how to deal with people so that you can stay their ruler. And then this next passage right after, we have this story of what sounds like a a terrible decision. I'm going to put a baby in a basket in a river. I don't have any other choice. I don't know anything else. I, I can't, I don't know, I don't have another option. And somehow, intuitively, it's this wisdom from God in her, and then God's hand guiding that basket along the way. Wisdom. God made Israel so uncomfortable. They couldn't wait to leave their home of 400 years. Why? Because he had a better place for them. He had a better way to live for them. He wanted to show them how to live, and he wanted to show them ultimately through that who he was. You know what comes after this? Moses leads everybody out of Egypt, they go into the wilderness, they receive the law. This is how you are to live with a holy God. And the whole purpose is to show that you're going to be different. You're going to be holy. You're going to live in relationship with God. You're going to live. He wanted them to be holy. You know what holy means? Holy, holy just means other, different, separate. So when you're over here and you're singing holy, 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 we're in worship. We're singing holy. You're not just saying, God, you're really good. And, and it, it, what you're saying is, is you're, you're other than. You're so incredible. You're so amazing. I can't imagine anything or anyone greater, but you're, you're other. And the more that I get to know you and the more that I recognize who you are and your activity in my life, I recognize that there's nothing and nobody that could ever come close to being as other than you. You're... you're you're holy. God wanted to give his people a home and he wanted to set his people apart so that he could bless them. Then everybody else would see and then they would want to be a part. They would want to be, they would want to be a part. They would want to be a part. God's plan is like the ultimate FOMO plan of all time. He he wanted to bless a group of people so much so that everybody could see, oh, that's what it's like to follow God. That's what real life is like. And then they all want in on it. And then the people of God open up and they share and they go, great, you can be in on it now. You can be a part. That's actually where the name of our church comes from, Four Corners. It's Four Corners. There's a passage in the book of Acts where it's this entire story about this tablecloth. This guy had this vision and tablecloth coming down from heaven. 
and it let down by its four corners. Acts chapter 10, you can read it. Let down by its four corners. And the whole point of it is then to say, anybody that wants to be at this table with God can be at this table. No matter who you are or where you've been, you have an invitation to experience the fullness of the kingdom. The fullness of kingdom life. What is kingdom life? What is life with God? What is that? God's goal for you is ultimately righteousness, peace. So righteousness, just a right relationship with God. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right relationship, peace and joy. But if in my mind, I have a picture in my mind of what righteousness, peace, and joy look like. And so I'm, in my mind, I have a picture of what that looks like. So when I go to pursue it, the problem is, is my vision of what eternal life, kingdom life, peace, and joy looks like. When I go to do that, it's actually different than God's vision of that. Your vision and my vision has been given to us, given to me, through culture around us. This is what peace looks like, and this is what you do to get peace. This is what joy looks like, and this is what you do to get joy. This is what it's like to be in a right relationship with God. This is how you do it. The problem is, is God is so other that culture says one thing, and you have all these winds, these headwinds coming at you nonstop. And it's like you're in a you're in a storm, and we just went through, I felt like it was just every other day a storm for like a month until like a week ago, and now it's 1,000 degrees. Do y'all know it's a cool front right now? I think it's only supposed to get like 89 degrees today. You ever gone outside during a storm, and, um, or right before, and you have these winds, like just super, super windy, the, uh, straight line winds, headline winds? I don't know, maybe that's, the, maybe that's the word for it. Some of my weather, we got weather people in here. Um, you could correct me afterward. Um, you stand in there and you got these, these head, you go outside and these winds are blowing up against you. They're so hard, you almost have to like brace yourself to walk. You ever done that before? You ever walked through? That's the headwinds, like the headwinds of culture. A culture says, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how you get peace and joy. This is how you get peace and joy over here. And, and to walk with Christ in this life can feel like you're literally taking one step at a time through constant headwinds because everybody else is going along with the wind. You ever ran with the wind before? You ever, you ever, it's been a long time since I've ran. I've run with the wind before. You ever, it's been really windy and you run and it doesn't even feel like it's, it's windy because you're, you're running with it and you're like, the wind's not even blowing. That's because you're with it. It's so easy. Have you ever run against the wind? That's, that's, that's pressing against the headwinds of culture. God's ultimate plan is to take some people, bless them so much, even in the midst of all their junk, so that ultimately other people can look and say, well, why do they, why, how are they so blessed? They're sitting there going against these headwinds all day long, every day, and yet somehow they're still blessed. Their, their, their circumstances are horrific. They're not good. And somehow they're still, I don't have another word for it, they're blessed. Why is that? And so man's wisdom, Pharaoh's wisdom is, we're just going to make things worse and worse and worse and worse. And somehow it doesn't work. Because even in the worst, God's wisdom still wins out. 
So three truths about God's plan real quick this morning. First one is this. God's plan. These are deep. Are you ready for some deep points this morning? I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Here it is. Verse, uh, 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 point number one. Um, God's plan is huge. <laughs> God's plan is enormous. The Apostle Paul writes about the greatness of God's plan. Now, I'm going to read to you a little bit about God's plan from the Apostle Paul, which is now in the New Testament. We're talking thousands of years later. This is after Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, rose again. He's ascended to be with the Father. And now all the disciples are run out, and they're going around and telling everybody about Jesus, and they're getting arrested, and some of them are dying. And the Apostle Paul here is in a prison. He's in a Roman prison writing this letter. And so this is what he says, verse three, uh, chapter 3. He says, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Gentiles, not Jews. Because now, because of that table that people can be invited to, they're invited now, the Gentiles are invited now to be a part of God's plan. Here it is. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Surely you've heard about me. But he's already been in and out of the church here and there in Ephesus. That is... The mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written about. Verse 4, in reading this, you'll be able to understand the insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 10, his intent, here's God's great plan. Everybody ready for God's great plan? His intent was that now, through the church, uh-oh, God's, pl God's plan is the church. God's plan is to work through the church. Some of y'all have been in the church for a long time, and you're like, I still can't believe it. <laughs> I still can't believe God's great plan to save the world is through the church. Some of y'all haven't been here very long, and you're coming in here, and you're like, I'm here, and I'm here. And it's a big enough deal that I'm here, and here you are telling me that God's plan is the church. And I just, I don't, yes, the church can be a mess. It can be a mess. You want to know why? Because you're a mess. Because <laughs> I'm a mess. And somehow God's great plan brings this mess together and he will create order out of the mess. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Man, that's, 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 that's big. There you go. Should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Just so, you, just so you recognize what he's saying. He's saying God's plan is through the church for the entire world. And all the rulers and everybody that's in charge and everybody that's not in charge, both in the world and in the spiritual realm. It's a real thing. And so he's saying through the church, the wisdom of God is that his wisdom would be made known to everybody in the whole world everybody that you can see and everybody that you can't see into the spiritual realm. All right. Verse 10. His intent was that through the church the wisdom of God should be made to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Wow. Verse 11. According to his eternal purpose. That's actually always been his plan. That he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, through faith, in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Don't be discouraged because I'm in prison. My sufferings for you, which are your glory. 
Verse 20, now to him who is able to do more than what we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, that's you and me, forever and ever. God's plan is so big. He wants to use the church to reach not just the world, but everything on earth and in heaven. And he says his plans are bigger and better than anything you could ever imagine. Verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what we can ask or imagine. I can imagine a lot. How many of you guys can imagine a lot of things? I I can get, yeah, I can imagine a lot. Anybody in here used to ask for a lot when you were younger? Anybody make Christmas lists? You ever make a Christmas list? You ever make a Christmas list and then you give it to your parent and they just laugh? (laughs) Okay. Our, our, our creativity for what we can imagine God accomplishing in our lives is often limited by what we see. And God says that his capacity to accomplish this is greater than your capacity to imagine it. I can imagine a lot, and yet God's ability and his capacity to accomplish these incredible things is greater than your ability to imagine it. I don't know what was in Jochebed's mind when she put her baby in a basket and put him in the river. I know that she was going through the worst suffering that she could have, uh, that she's ever gone through in her entire life. And yet God's ability, his capacity for accomplishing in her life and in our lives is greater than our capacity to imagine it. C.S. Lewis says says it like this. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child. Man, he just tells it like it is. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We, 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 that, that's God's capacity. His plan is wildly huge, and it's actually bigger than what you can imagine. The second one is this. God's plan is huge. God's plan is also small. Ephesians 3, 14 says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father. This is Paul talking, same thing. From whom every single family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You ever met anybody who, who had it all and then, and then realized like they, they, they still wanted more? They still, they still weren't satisfied? Like they're st- you, you, You're looking on the outside in and you're going, you already have everything. You, you, you have it all, and somehow you're not, somehow you're not happy. I, when I was uh, in college, in my undergrad, I went to school, um, and I was in a class with a guy named Scott, and I was 20, and Scott was a non-traditional student uh, who was a ministry major for the undergrad. Scott was 44, and, um, and so I, I was 20, and I thought he was just ancient of days, and... Um, but I, but I, you know, I still talk to him, you know. So um, I remember we were in class one day, and, and uh, I just had made small talk with Scott. He was um, 
uh, in school with his wife. They were going into ministry together. They were going to be pastors. And uh, one day, he, he, part of the class, he shares some of his story. And um, years ago, he had made some very, very smart uh, business decisions. He had made a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And um, he said he sold his business. And he said, I was on the fast track uh, to have everything that I ever wanted in my life. He said, I was married, had a few kids, and um, I, was, I had everything that you could have ever wanted. And he goes, um, and yet my, my, my life was a wreck. He said, I found myself on a friend's boat. Uh, I'm sorry, the word he used was yacht. Um, he said, I found myself on my friend's yacht um, with more money than I could have ever imagined having. And he said, um, my, uh, and I was holding a, 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 a hundred dollar drink in my hand. And he said, the sun was out. It was gorgeous. I had everything I ever could have wanted. He said, I never remember feeling so miserable. And, um, he said it wasn't long after that. Um, there were some, a lot of, he said, a lot of my decisions came back to haunt me. He said, I lost my, my family and my kids, um, uh, he said, I, I, I lost everything, my business, my, uh, all, all, all my money. And he said, fast forward, uh, I'm in rehab, and I meet a guy who tells me about Jesus. And he said, and I gave my life to Jesus. And so he's telling us this story. It's this, it isn't rags to riches, it's, <laughs> it's riches to rags. And yet he turns around, and here's this 44-year-old guy. And he's talking to a bunch of us students, and he goes, I'm just telling you, nothing they tell you that will satisfy you will really satisfy you. He said, I've never been more content. I've never been more content. He goes, and I don't, <laughs> he said, and I've got student loans. <laughs> God's plan is huge, but it's also so small. It involves his awesome plans for for our tiny little lives at the same time. And God will do anything he can, anything he can, to let you see that he's active in your life. Anything he can. Last one is this. God's plan is huge. God's plan is small. God's plan is good. It's good. Chapter 3, verse 16. This is Paul's prayer. So he's praying for the church. This is prayer for his church that he's, uh, uh, that he's uh, speaking to. He's also praying for us, this church, every church. This, this is a prayer to you. You can, actually say, you can actually say, this is Paul's prayer, and if God hears all prayers, then he's actually praying for me too. That's what we can do all the time in the scriptures. So he's praying for the church, he's praying for you, and he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, so there's nobody, there's nobody richer than God. We're not talking about money, but that too. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So the whole church, because they're all separate, they're all other, to grasp, here it is, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
It is, it is, a, it is to know a love that, that goes beyond what you can know. How do, can you know something that is beyond what you know? He, so apparently he's talking about more than just, God, I know Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. And some of us know that, and yet this same song that maybe you heard years ago, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Come on, there we go. Maybe this same song, for some of you, you're like, yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I, I get it, I get it, I've heard that one before. And yet some of you are in here and you've walked through some stuff in your life and you go, I've, I've never... I've never known anything so true. I've never known anything so deep. I've never known anything so rich. Jesus loves me, and I know it. I know it. I wonder what Moses' mother thought when she put her baby in the basket and floated him through the reeds. <laughs> that God's hand was on it, guiding. You couldn't see it, but it was there. I wonder what she imagined. Imagined. What was her imagination? What did she think when she put the baby in the basket? Did she imagine that Pharaoh's daughter would find the basket? You think she thought about that one? She, did she imagine that, that Pharaoh's daughter would take the baby out of the basket and then send somebody to go find just, can you just find somebody to come handle this baby, to nurse this baby for me? Did you think she thought that when she sent that baby, Pharaoh's daughter was going to find it, she was going to pull the baby out, then go send somebody to find somebody that could help with the baby, and then that person finds the mom, Jochebed, and then she's chosen to come get the baby and then take the baby back home. It was her baby the whole time. Do you think she imagined that one? Do you think she imagined that she would raise the baby and then eventually give him back to God. And then he would grow up and he would be raised in a palace, then leave the palace and then take and rescue millions of people, the children of Israel. Lead them out of Egypt and begin a new people. You think she imagined that one? Do you think that was more than she could ask or imagine? You think that was a little more? You think Paul had a clue when he was talking about more than you can ask or imagine, this is what I pray for you? I pray that you would be able to grasp. It's, you can't do it. I'm going to pray that you can grasp how deep and wide and long and incredible is God's love for you. Like you can't do it. But I'm going to pray that you might be able to take the next step into recognizing how deep God's love is. I want to pray for you this morning. If you would close your eyes. God at work, even, 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 even in the worst even with Moses in the reeds, God's at work. Maybe you're in here, you have trouble thinking God, you have trouble thinking about God as wise. Like there's so many things, you're like, there's no way. Does he have a clue what's going on? Does he know what's going on? It's hard for you to imagine that. Or maybe you're in here and you just have trouble thinking of God as good. Maybe it's both good and wise. Maybe that's, maybe that's a stretch for you. God's got an incredible plan. It's huge, it's small, it's good, all at the same time. It involves you growing closer to him. So I want to pray for you if you're in here and you just want to acknowledge this morning the, the, 
the dissonance in your life between the circumstances of your life and God's goodness. But, but you want to invite God's plan, whatever it is, if, if that's you, there's, there's this huge dissonance, there's this huge gap between my life circumstances and what I feel like is God's goodness. But I want to invite God's plan, whatever that looks like, I want to invite God's plan into it. If that's you, it's a confession this morning. Would you just raise your hand real high and you put it back down. I want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, there's so many of us. Yes, yes. Yeah, I want to pray for you. Before I do, I want to ask, maybe you're in here and you recognize, you recognize God's movement in your life, but you've been hesitant to take the step. I, I don't know what that step is. Maybe it's, maybe it's committing your life to him, surrendering your life to him. Maybe it's simply, uh, maybe it's sharing your faith with somebody in your life that you've, it's been on your heart. I need to share my faith. I, I got to go beyond this just small talk. Or maybe it's beginning to um, step into community here at the church in a group. We got small groups going on. Maybe, maybe that's it. Whatever that is, if that's you this morning and you just say, God's, God's, um, God is moving me toward or away from something and you just want to acknowledge that and, and for God to see that. Would you just raise your hand real, real high and you put it back down? There's movement. There's movement. Yeah, yeah, so many of us. Yes, yes. Father, this morning, what a gift. God, what a gift. What a gift of your word. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it goes way beyond these feeble words of my own. There's no power in those words. There's no power in my words. God, but there's power in yours. God, I thank you that your power is here in this room, and I pray Paul's prayer. You would teach us, expand our capacity to grasp how incredibly huge and intimate and small at the same time, God, your love is for your people. God, for those taking steps towards you this morning, I pray you would fill them with wisdom on the right step to go. God, and with courage to take that step as they realize what it is. Fill this church with your spirit. God, with the revelation of who you are, righteousness, peace, and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was encouraging. That was an encouraging word this morning.